Hey guys, Jake and I are here again, episode 12, VP Precision, and we got some, I don't know, just going to talk for a while, got some questions, got some comments, got some thoughts we had, and uh, anyway, so here we are. So what's up, bud? And we got another giveaway. Let's do this. Yeah, we'll do, let's see, let's do, we'll tease a little bit, details at the end. Um, it's going to be Russell Dorn from Rock Creek Barrels reached out to us. It was pretty cool. He just said, hey, want to give a couple of barrels away or give a barrel away to you guys. And um, so, yeah, we'll tell you the details later how to do it. We're going to do it quick. We're going to give away next week. So pay attention for that. And uh We'll get that out to you guys. That's super cool. Him, they've uh, Rock Creek's been a big supporter of, um, you know, PRS type of NRL shooting for a long time and and stuff like yep. that. So we appreciate that very much, Russell. And uh, and you, know, you guys get to be the the beneficiary of it. So we'll give you the details on that a little bit. So yeah. Um, uh, let's see. What have you been? Uh, you're working, taking. Uh, you don't have a shoot. You, when's your next shoot? You got a little break? I got a little bit of a break. Um, and it's kind of weird. Like sometimes you just want to get out there and shoot, shoot, shoot. And yep. then sometimes you're like, it's kind of nice not to have anything this week. I'm just kind of yeah, relaxing. I like it. And, uh, you know, hanging out. So the girls and I, um, we're going jet skiing. We already went jet skiing a couple times. Awesome. And we're kind of saving our, you know, our last, I don't know, a few weeks of uh, summertime weather. So yeah. we're going to go out and enjoy it and the, very, the, very cool. the little ladies love mobbing around on the jet skis and doing donuts <laughs> and that's awesome. falling off and towing inner tubes so that's yeah we're right on we're having a good time good good yeah it is kind of nice to take a break sometimes you get dude you have those you think back on when you have like those back-to-back shoots and you're flying at one place you're home for a few days and you're trying to load and prep brass and head out to the next one and then you get kind of fried on those two weeks and then it's nice to have a break kind of rebuild and get fired up for the next one. So that's what, and um, honestly yeah. for us, sometimes it's four or five in a row, you know, like it, <laughs> sometimes it's like ridiculous. It it's was, like, what in the world is going on? Dude, the matches get stacked and what is it? Is it May, April, May, April, May, June. They just seem like, and they're good ones. You're like, well, I can't miss this one. It's like the premier match here, and this is a super good match director, and there's all these matches that stack up, and you don't want to – I mean, if you miss them, you miss them. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes you go to way too many in a row. I think, honestly, for me, I think sometimes um, – well, there's no doubt. It, I think my performance suffers sometimes, depending on where I'm at in barrel life and how much time I have to prep guns or just mm-hmm. ment- mentally like get home, try to catch up on work um you know see the family it's just it's never enough time so that's i like i like when they're a little spread out so you kind of feel like you're caught up on life which is which is what i've been doing trying to catch up on work and getting a lot of stuff done so this week i've been uh we've had to do a little landscaping trucks are blowing up left and right so i've been sitting on the computer truck shopping nonstop. it get home oh, here we go look online for hours so that's been uh been what i've been working on but i have been shooting i've been fire forming brass um kind of wanting to get everything i've got we've got a, a moose hunt coming up and got to help on some elk hunts and you know some some things like that and so i really want to get everything ready for the ag cup which is end of october which seems like a long ways away except we're super busy till then so this week i've formed almost got 500 pieces formed i've got joe sent me two new barrels um joe walls from exodus two new barrels that are that i've just been fire forming and to get rounds down so i put 
about 150-ish rounds to each barrel. So I got 300 there, and then I have a fire-forming barrel of the same chamber from him, of an old uh, old match barrel. Yep. And uh, I I wish – I didn't do, I mean, what, 30 grains of Varget, shooting a 105, jammed in the lands, a CCI 400 primer, and the thing is hammering. So it's been really fun to, <laughs> it's been really fun to practice with, but just because I'm shooting like, I've got your KYL rack, um, you know, the steel rack with a little, at 340 yards, and I'm just, like, I can just nail that little tiny spinner off a of oh, barricade, man. and it's like, dude, this thing is accurate. So that's been really fun. Um been doing that a lot and those barrels are now broken got them all clean so i get to start load development i'm super stoked on that so um didn't get everything try to get everything ready everything perfect before i take off on some of these hunts so anyway one of the things i I mentioned to you about um i guess we could talk about this on relates to one of the questions later but i've been shooting and it's real easy for me when i start fire forming it's like i gotta get this stuff done so you know, you load six, you load eight, just boom, boom, boom. And you're practicing, but like how mentally focused are you? So I've been, I've been, it's been taking me longer to fire form, but I've been trying to been really purposeful with, uh, I'd say quality over quantity with my shots. Absolutely. Yep. And I've, I know in the past I've for sure been guilty of quantity, uh, thinking where I got to shoot a hundred rounds today and, and trying to hit a number versus the quality of shots. And it's the same as anything. I mean, it's kind of a cheesy saying, but my wife could admit, like, you could have some quantity of time. And if you're just on your phone or doing something else, it's kind of, I don't know, not maybe not the best time. And so, you know, choosing to spend your time wisely while you're shooting, like, really, for me, it's slowing down. It's really focusing on each shot that I break, um, watching it land, not moving too quickly, not you know, I get, I can get a little punch on the trigger, just moving. And I know I'm going to hit the target. Like if there's no wind and I'm just moving, it's I'm rock solid and comfortable at my home range. And so trying to slow down and work on my shot process, kind of like what I'm mentally saying to myself and really breaking good shots to, to ingrain better habits that, you know, ideally carry over to the match. So, um, that's one thing I've been doing this, this week and kind of breaking in, uh, 300 Norma, trying to get that thing ready. I'm still doing low development. I don't have much to say about that yet. Still working on it. Um, but, um, that's been, that's been my thing. What talk to me about, uh, your shot process a little bit. You're the one I've heard talk about it the most and I've, you know, getting more and more exposed to it and getting kind of my, Mm, my self-talk if you will kind of ironed out but what you i know what's your your, you have a famous saying what's what's yours so i i kind of think about the three letters btf um and i really do that before i pull every single trigger shot and i've done that for a couple years so you know let's say that i've you know pulled ten thousand shots this year literally every single shot i have uh, thought to myself before I pull that trigger BTF. And obviously that, um, if you don't know, that stands for breathing, trigger control and follow through. And those are the three fundamentals for me, which uh, allow me or kind of make me focus on being very consistent every single shot. And so my breathing, what I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm pulling the trigger uh, at the very bottom, uh, you know, of my exhale during mm-hmm. my natural respiratory pause. And so that takes care of my B. 
And then my T, my, you know, the, the trigger, I want to make sure that the trigger is coming straight to the back. I'm not jerking it. I'm not yanking it. I'm not wrapping around it. I'm just pulling it straight back towards my shoulder. Um, you know, kind of where I'm feeling the butt stock, uh, you know, the, you know, the butt pad meet my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I can feel that there. And so that's, that's where I want to imagine I'm pulling that trigger back to. And then F is obviously follow through. Mm-hmm. For follow through, I really want to focus on pinning that trigger to the rear and keeping it there, not moving, being super still. And I like to call it kind of silent. So if you're going to be super still and silent, um, you know, that's going to allow you to kind of see what's happening downrange. It's going to allow you to follow your bolt a little bit more um, as it's traveling and you can maybe see a little bit more trace. So for me, it's BTF and I do it every single time. It took me a long time to kind of ingrain because what I used to do is I used to just go out and pull the darn trigger. Yeah. And I, I really wasn't getting, you know, I was a, I was a decent shooter, but I was, I really wasn't getting better to the level, um, that I knew I, you know, I could be if I was to take this step by step and do things purposely. Mm -hmm. So now that I have a purposeful routine before I pull the shot, every shot is very consistent And obviously in this game, you have to have consistency. So sometimes I got buddies or whatever that come off the line and they missed a couple really easy shots and maybe they were, you know, something was going on. And what I noticed is that their, maybe their timing was off. If I hear a bang, 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 it's like, well, okay, what happened there? It was fast and then it was slow and, you know, there was different timing. And then you hear some other shooters and it's a very purposeful bang, bang, bang. And it's, it's very consistent. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, that you makes know, a lot of sense. It's, I know. Just, <laughs> it's just very, it's very consistent and there's a routine to it. So for me, it's B T F B T F. And that also helps me slow down just a little bit mm-hmm. because I used to just speed through stuff. Yeah. and try to pull the trigger because I thought it was cool. I try to pull everything fast, run my bolt fast, be as fast as I could. I just thought it was the cool thing to do because I was watching TV. <laughs> well, that's not, that, that, actually, that actually does not help you hit more targets, so Mm-mm. let's not do that. Let's do something that helps you hit more targets. Okay, Love it. now we know what we can do. Um, Love it. Yeah, so that, that's what I do. It's just those three acronyms, BTF. I would... I would encourage all the listeners or if, if you want to become a good shooter, come up with something that helps you as a shooter be more consistent. Um, yeah. And whatever it is, it, it actually doesn't even matter. If you can say, okay, I'm becoming more consistent because of X, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. I'm not saying you have to do the BTF routine. I'm not saying you have to do any other mumbo jumbo that someone is telling you to do do something that helps you become more consistent as a shooter and make sure every shot counts. Um, mm-hmm. I used to play basketball, uh, you know, when I was in high school and, and one of the things the coach made us do is he made us take our last shot had to be, you know, a make. So, you know, if we were shooting threes our we had to make our shot before we were done. And that's, you know, so it basically, it has to be a perfect shot. That's what I want to envision every time I pull the trigger that this is my absolute last shot of the day. I have to make it perfect. Boom. Okay. That was perfect. 
okay, just kidding. We're going to take another one. Okay, this one has got to be perfect. Got to be absolutely dead nuts. Perfect. Boom. That was perfect. Okay, now let's take another one. So the mindset behind it is that every shot or everything you do has to be perfect as if, as if mm-hmm. it's the last thing you're doing that day. No, I love that. I think... I think a shot process is, is something I've overlooked somewhat. I mean, I'll have glimpses of it where I could slow down and think, but like when you're talking about the cadence of, of guys shooting, I know personally you get in, okay, here we go. And you start and you settle in, you break a shot and you hit and you move the next break and you, you're like, why is that? You miss. It shouldn't have been a miss. And you panic and you speed up a little bit and shoot again. And <laughs> why is that a miss? And you speed up again and you can, you can, you know, you can, you can panic your way out of, out of a few hits, which are, which yep, are obviously right. important. And I th- so I think that shot sequence, it does a lot of things and, and you know, it slowing you down is, is, is a huge thing. I think, you know, I've been guilty of shooting fast. I, I do. It's fun to shoot fast. I like doing it. I still, I, I can still hit a lot of targets. I, I like to do it, but I'm, it's, it's so much better to slow down and, and watch and think and, and do that. And there, so, and honestly, there is a place for it. Like there's a lot of stages like the AG cup, <laughs> like the AG cup. So for example, the AG cup, every single stage is going to be timed. Yeah. And there's an opportunity there that if, you know, and it's not what I'm planning on doing, I'm going to shoot my normal game, but there's an opportunity because every stage is timed and there's a thousand dollar prize for winning that stage, having every the best score, stage. best time. So there is, there's very well a possibility where, okay, now it's time to go fast and not really focus on anything and just try to burn it down. Mm-hmm. And you very well might be able to gain a thousand dollar, you know, stage that way. So there is a time and there is a place for it. Um, but most of these stages are 90 seconds or two minutes, um, at a normal NRL or PRS match. That's plenty of time. We can make a little PB and J sandwich Mm -hmm. and get all our shots off. So why not slow down? And, you know, some, so some guys come off the line and the RO says you had 47 seconds left. (laughs) It's like, man, you and you, get, and you got six out of 10 hits. Yeah. I mean, imagine, you know, having 10 more seconds to make those other four hits, turn them into, or those other four misses and turn those into hits. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, what would you rather have a six and have 47 seconds left or have four seconds left and clean it? Yeah. It just depends on, on the mindset, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I, I've gone through your, like saying BTF or saying different things. Like right now I'm just saying squeeze and I'm trying to say it slow. I think, I think anything, um, I do a couple things before I said different process. I'm just working on processes that fits, that fits me or that that seems to go well with my routine. I think it can be, it doesn't have to be a certain phrase. The phrase isn't the magic. Um, it's whatever you need to do to do, the correct thing. So to breathe, to, to, to press exactly. the trigger, yeah. not punch the trigger for me, like, um, I, the saying it slow, we talked about this a little bit with cadence. I get, I get, um, there's some guys that are just naturally just quiet and slow and real chill. And I'm, I'm not one of those guys. I'm, I talk too fast. I get wound up. I, I feel the pressure <laughs> at these shoots. Like Dave Preston's like just naturally just, kind of 
just slower, more methodic, and I'm all like a frantic, whatever. And I get the adrenaline pumping, and I'm pretty. I get pretty wound up, and so I need to slow down maybe more than say Dave would. And yeah. D- Dave, we got we got to get Dave on the podcast. We got to get a bunch of guys on the podcast. A lot of cool guys out there. We'll have to we'll have to get on here, but um, it'd be fun to talk to him about this a little bit. But the just the cadence for me of saying squeeze. I think that 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 um, saying it slow slows me down, slows my thinking down, slows my actions down. Where if you say squeeze and you just squeeze, boom, and you shoot, like <laughs> it's, it's a totally different thing. So when you're sitting there in your head, if you're going squeeze, you know, try to, when you're doing your shot sequence, say it slow, everything, just slow down, say squeeze or breathe. Just don't say yep. breathe and take a short, you know, short breaths and quick trigger and, you know, say it, say it all slow. I think that cadence is good for your, your subconscious. I think it just naturally, um, when you talk slow, I think you relax and you slow down. So That's right. I've been, I've been kind of working and experimenting with that while I've been fire forming and breaking these barrels in. And that's been, a that's been, I think that's been good for me. I was, I didn't realize, I told you that it is like, man, I didn't realize how rusty I was just not shooting really at all in August. Um, and a little bit before that prepping for that, for my sheep hunt. And it did, I mean, I, you get up there, it's like riding a bike, excuse me, riding a bike, it comes right back. But, um, it felt good to get on the barricades and, and kind of get in some wobbly positions and, and, and not punch the trigger while you're shaking and squeeze through the wobble and, and really work right. on that. So anyway, that's, that's what I've been doing this week among just work and all the normal stuff. Yeah. So, um, let's roll into, uh, we got a couple questions. Uh, what was the, what was the first one? You got a question about some clo- so, clothes. Uh, we had a couple questions, um, about shooting clothes and kind of what we prefer for matches Mm-hmm. Um, what is, you know, our favorite or, you know, what do we recommend? Uh, I had a couple really good answers. Uh, obviously I have my personal preferences, but what, you know, one of my answers was honestly get something that has the level of protection that you need or that you want. And then also get something that's as comfortable, uh, that, you know, for you and your environment. So for me, I run the I run two different pants right now. I run the Sitka mountain pants and the Sitka timberline pants. And those are really Mm -hmm. close to the same. Uh, The Sitka timberline are a little heavier. Mm -hmm. They have a waterproof knee, a waterproof butt, but they have the same knee pads in them and the same stretchy uh, four-way stretch material, which is, which has been proved to, you know, for me to be super durable, which is what I like yeah. about those, uh, Sitka mountain pants. Are those, I've tried are those mountain pants? Ton. Are those, sorry, are those mountain, do those mountain pants have the same, not the knee pads, but you know how the Timberlines have the Cordura knees, um, the fabric on the knees. What do the mountain pants have? So the mountain pants is basically the standard uh, four-way stretch fabric over the entire pant. Okay. okay. Uh, it does have the knee pads, which is the same as the Timberline. The difference is the Timberline in the knees and the butt has the waterproof, yeah. um, you know, the waterproof stuff. So it really depends for me what I'm going to be doing. And uh, I find that that waterproof material around the knees and the waterproof material in the butt uh, makes that pant a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. And so it just doesn't breathe quite as well because of that waterproof. So it's a little bit warmer pant for me. And mm-hmm. so I'll use that in the spring, in the fall, um, obviously all in the winter. Uh, and then in the really hot summertime, the last two matches have been pretty darn hot and I've worn the mountain pants. 
which have, you know, which have been pretty good. The one thing I don't really like, or, or the one thing that I've struggled with in a mountain pan is that sometimes you are getting in a little bit of mud or sometimes you are getting in a little bit of, um, you know, water or some dampness on your butt or you're sitting down mm-hmm. or knees or whatever. And the mountain pan does, you know, kind of soak it up where the timber lines, it has that waterproof material. So, yeah. but, you know, both, both are really good options. Uh, I like both for me, they're super comfortable. And that's what I looked at. I came from the Arcteryx Sphinx, uh, pants and they're a high end $400 a pair kind of a pant. They're, they're really nice, uh, stretchy four-way stretch material, but for whatever reason, the knee pads that they had in there were just not very comfortable and you had to always adjust them and you had to, you know, you couldn't walk very far without, you know, having a problem and trying to readjust them. So I went to the Sitka pants, which I found are substantially more comfortable okay. just overall. Yeah. Yeah. As far as pants goes for me, that's all I've, I don't, Jake's experiment with a lot more. I just started with Timberlines from the hunting side. I've worn them for years and I, I, I don't hunt with them with the knee pads in generally if it's warm at all. Cause it gets that much warmer. Cause they are, they're a little better in the cooler weather. I would, um, on a warm hunt, I don't wear them, but on fall hunts, I generally do. And so I just went straight into mat shooting with those because of their knee pads. They have these slip in knee pads that come with them. They're always They're in place. They're perfect. I love the waterproof button knees. Like when you're hunting, you set down a glass, you know, you stay dry. And then when you're kneeling as well. And so I, I just, that's all I've ran. So I, I love this Sitka Timberlines. Um, yeah. you know, they're, they're not, they're not cheap, but they're certainly not $400 like Arcteric pants are. I think a lot of guys wear those. Are those those multi-cam ones that everybody wears? No, you know, I, I'm or, not positive. Mine different? were not multi-cam, but they were, they were expensive. I can't remember the name of those. Okay. Those other ones that are, that are multi-cam that you're thinking of, but. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love the Timberlines anyway, so. What do you, and then did he he have questions about up top or just was he? Yeah. So he would just overall clothes, obviously for, for boots or shoes, it's, it's also going to be dependent on where you're, where you're located. For us, we have some rain over here. We have some rocks over here. We have a little bit of everything. So I have kind of a low mid boot that I run. That's a fairly lightweight Gore-Tex boot. Um, and I also have a pair of the La Sportiva boots, uh, a couple pairs of those, which I like, which are also kind of a mid, a mid weight, uh, Gore-Tex, you know, hiking, you know, very light hiking type of a boot. Yeah. They're called the Uh, Trango Trek. Uh, they're, they're one of the cheaper, one of the cheaper La Sportivas. Um, but they're, they're lightweight. They're easy. That's, I I use those matches. So, but they're good. They keep your feet dry. Yeah, they're going to keep your feet dry, and then you don't have any problems with you know any sort of field matches. I, I see a lot of people in other parts of the country. If you're on like a square range all the time, they just wear a pair of Salmons, and they're okay with it. Yeah. But it seems like for us over here, with all the holes we have and rocks and stickers and uh, stuff like that, for some of the field matches we have, I think just something a little bit tougher is is needed. Now there are still a lot of people that wear the Salmons over here. Yeah, those speed um, crosses and, are popular. You know, they definitely like them. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm in the same boat. I've worn those boots. I love those boots. I wore speed crosses a little bit. Um, I don't know. I just I've, I've been wearing those Lost Sportivas as well since. So um, anyway, up top, would you wear? Oh, I like I like long sleeve all the time, hot or cold. Me too. 
Me yep. too. So long sleeve, whether it's a shirt, uh, you know, a t-shirt, a jersey, whatever you've got. I really like. I don't even remember. There's the, there are these cotton long sleeves. They're really lightweight, and they've got a built-in hoodie. And I really like that for you know, especially the hot days. You put those on, keep the sun off. You know, stay cool. I like those hoodies a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. I think more and more guys are doing those. I, you see those, like those sun. I think what that Colorado match, the Mile High yep. match, they they made some and sold those. Those the kind of light colored, yep. you know, synthetic material, dry quick and and uh, keep the sun off. So those are super nice for the summertime. Um, you wear gloves. Well, why don't you talk about that for a minute? <laughs> You're about one of the few guys. You, a couple other guys, maybe, but not many guys wear gloves. Yeah, not many. So I was one of my very first matches was in Northern California. It was a Nol- the NorCal Bolt Rifle Challenge, and I think it was in 2012. It was like my very first national level match ever, and I remember going there. You know, and not there was some people that did wear gloves, some people that didn't. Um, yeah, most mo- I'd say ninety five percent of people ha- have no gloves on. Yeah. Well, you go to these car stages, and you're in California. The sun's beating down; it's a hundred degrees. So you go to these car stages, you got to shoot off the hood. Mm-hmm. I had short sleeves on because I was hot, and I thought that's oh, what I wanted to wear. This reminds and me I of did, a story. <laughs> I didn't have any gloves on, and so. I get over the top of this hot black car yep. and I just burned the crap out of my arms and burned the crap out of my hands. And I was like, this is stupid. What, what you know, what, why am I not trying to protect myself? And then we go right over to this long range stage where they have a bunch of, a bunch of these rocks and you have to lay down in the rocks. Well, as I'm getting down, I'm putting my hands on the rocks to get in a prone position or whatever. And now I got, you know, now my hands are getting all beat up because of the rocks. And mm-hmm. yes, I'm a sissy, but I can care less. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna be comfortable. Yes, and your hands are softer than your wife's. <laughs> yes, my hands are soft. <laughs> yeah, stop it. So I tell you what, I don't know. I, I like the, I like the protection on the hands. Now it's just like a, they're super cheap. They're like blue framer gloves. I get on Amazon yeah. for seven bucks, and I go through them pretty often. They have like a, a light leather palm, the thumb, the first, the pointer finger and the middle finger. They don't have any, you know, they're, they're kind of like fingerless, Yeah. Uh, but the palm is covered. And so there's been a lot of times where guys get into positions and we're out in the field here and they got um, scrapes on their hands or they got stickers in their hands. And so I might change a pair of gloves where they're trying to dig out cactus or something out of their hands. And so it's like, okay, that's not, that's yeah. not too bad then. Yeah. Your, your short sleeve reminded me well, we won't say names, but remember what happened to K and M this year? Uh, uh, I, I do remember one of the guys, yeah, I, one of the guys I think you should say names. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> good shooter. You could do whatever you want, <laughs> but good, <laughs> good shooter. Same thing. We, we had to shoot out of the inside of a car. Uh, five shots and then moved to the hood. He shot five shots, hits, been shooting good all day. Moves to the hood, uh, lay, closes his bolt as he's settling down and his arm, his right arm uh, slipped kind of down off the windshield and his forearm touched the hood, which it was 100 degrees out and that hood, <laughs> it was a dark colored car. So that hood was, I don't know, 100 and a lot. And uh, he jumped when it hit because it burned it. And he and he AD'd, and so match over for him. 
And uh, yeah, anyway, so that was a side story. It's uh, it anyway. So that's another (laughs) another another perk for long sleeves. I forgot about that. So that's just it. It just depends on what makes you comfortable. Uh, I see a lot of people are wearing long sleeves now, um, and I think that's probably here to stay. It also keeps the sun off you. It keeps the the elements off you. You know, it offers a little bit of a little bit of shade, so you very well might be cooler. Um, if it's dirty and dusty, you're not, you know, your arms aren't sweaty and then you get a dust cloud. Now they're, you know, now they're muddy cause you got yeah. sweat and dust on them. Unless you're Tate uh, and you show up in tennis shoes and shorts. So yeah, yeah <laughs> he, Mr. Yeah, Streeter rocking the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, what else? Everything. Depends. I mean, everything else. What do you, uh, what do you pack for? What do you pack for rain gear? Do you have something you like or a mixture of stuff? I do. So I run kind of a mixture of stuff. I have an outdoor research. Uh, I think it's called the foray jacket. Um, it's obviously it has the pro Gore-Tex. Mm-hmm. It's fairly light. Uh, it keeps the wind off. you. all see, uh, you know, sealed seams or whatever tape seams, whatever they call them. Yep. So that's what I run. It, it's a little bit stretchy. The material is, um, and so it becomes really durable. It's not like a, a nylon or a vinyl that will rip real easy. Mm-hmm. So if it gets, if it gets snagged on something, it has a little bit of stretch to it because it has that Gore-Tex pro material. So I run that. It pretty much always stays in my bag because you just never know when stuff's going to rain or whatever. So I, I run that for the top mm-hmm. and then the bottom, I have a couple different options. I have one, which is a cheap pair of REI, um, you know, Gore-Tex pants. And then I have another one, which is the Kuyu. I, I, I can't uh, pronounce it right, but like Ch- Chugach. Oh, the Chugach. Yeah, Chugach. Yeah, Mount- they're so, named after the mountains in Alaska. It's always raining okay. and there's big doll sheep there. So, yeah. So I, I have a, I have a full set of those and I use those for rain, for rain pants. Right Same on. sort of material, really good, high, you know, high level waterproof material, slightly stretchy, um, very durable, because you you know you're going to need it when you're rolling around in the rocks and all yep. that kind of stuff. You don't want stuff to be ripping. You don't want stuff to to wear out. We don't wear it a lot, but when we do wear it, man, it's really important to have good gear. Yeah. What about you? Oh, on that, I'm still I'm still tweaking. But yeah, I've I kind of if I know it's going to be really nasty, generally I'll pack um, the stuff I've been using for hunting, which is the, the Sitka Stormfront. It's like a three layer Gore. It's like their heaviest duty rain gear. It's not insulated. So it's just a shell, but it's, it's a, it's some serious rain gear. It's what I wore the whole, on all my hunts and, and it, it'll keep you dry. It's got a really good hood, good cut hood. It's a good, it's got good sleeves, good, uh, wrist closures and i've been really impressed with that but it's bigger um on the days where i don't know like insurance stuff i pack i got this super lightweight it was an arcteryx like one of their lower models that's really like really lightweight and packable not their big heavy duty one but mm-hmm. um arcteryx makes killer rain gear too if, if you get the higher end stuff but this is a really lightweight one but it packs down tiny it works pretty good no pockets no nothing just simple it's got a hood really i like it it works good. It's just small and light. And then I have a really lightweight pair of first light pants, um, for my, you know, my lightweight stuff. So I kind of do the same thing. Like if it's going to be nasty and snowy and cold and you know, it's going to be a, a really, you know, a, a winter, early spring or late winter match or something nasty, then, then I'll do that. But otherwise it's generally that lighter stuff, especially for flying. You kind of run out mm-hmm. of room, room and weight. So, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so we're about that. Another question that we had, if if, if we're done talking about that, yeah, is, let's move on. Uh, free recoil versus recoil management. We had some guys that were saying, "Hey, um, you know, talk a little bit about the differences, and then maybe talk about what your preferences are, and and possibly when to use each. Uh, you know, when to use each in a match setting. So go ahead." I I, I want to know what people's definition of free recoil. There's the, and I don't think I, I don't know that I ever use it, but I wonder if some guys would say I did. And But I, I was actually experimenting with this because I've got a barricade. I got a new barricade and it's got a chain on it. And I hate those things. I just, so I threw my bag on, I was just playing on it. And so I was sitting behind it. I was I'd, I'd go, I tried to just let it sit there and balance. And I was like, well, that's no good. And then I'd go back to, you know, pushing it, loading the chain and pulling the chain. And so I was experimenting with all different, different, um, techniques. Um, but I, I just, I honestly don't know that I ever really use free recoil. I've always got my shoulder on the gun. I mean, if 99.9% of the time, I can't think of when I've when I free recoiled, I'm sure maybe I have, I think when people say free recoil, it's, it's, you set your bag on a barricade, you set your gun on the bag. And I've seen guys that actually, um, they'll say they'll, if they're right-handed, they'll guide their forehand or their gun with the left hand. So say they'll grab their bag and their gun at their left hand. They won't even touch the gun with their shoulder they'll touch the trigger with their trigger finger and they'll literally put their thumb on the trigger guard and that's how they pull it. They don't even touch the grip. I've seen people do it to that extreme. I don't want to say that's ridiculous, but I don't, I I don't know why you would ever do that. Um, (laughs) I just, I can't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, even if you got behind it and got your shoulder there, so you weren't even touching the gun and you're just barely off of it, at least it can hit your shoulder and you can see where something goes. When you're free, if you're free recoil like that, I don't know how much you see. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to get in a big debate, but I just, I guess personally, no, I don't use free recoil. I'm almost, I always, like I said, 99 plus percent, I manage recoil. Um, this could be a debate I could see because <laughs> so I, I know some guys that do it and, and, and they, and they shoot pretty good. I just, I think long-term you're going to, it's going to be, it's going to be worse for you than, than not. What what do you think? Where, where are you at with that? <laughs> uh, I, I tend to agree, but I think part of this is, is where we, where we shoot most of our matches as well. Yes. We, we do travel around a lot. Um, but sometimes what you see is the, the high level shooters, or I guess any level shooter shooting in, in no wind or shooting where you do not have to come off the plate. Mm -hmm. What happens is as long as that trigger goes off, when the reticle is on the steel, you're going to hit that target. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very rarely um, like this last week at rock Lake, very rarely did you ever even hold the reticle, the center of the reticle on the piece of steel, maybe, maybe one or two shots out of 200 that we took. Yeah. Or first, actually, first stage of the day before the wind kicks up, maybe, but yeah, generally yeah, I, it was I mean, always off know, the steel. Yeah. Always off the steel. And so what, what you find is that you have to be able to, uh, stay on the gun a little bit longer 
to see where the bullet went because the wind is a little switchy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can go from two miles an hour to eight miles an hour. And the, the difference between that is the difference between holding two tenths off and a half mil off. Well, the target's only three tenths wide. And so when you start to figure out, Hey, I have to figure out where my bullet goes on this shot because the wind might change between my first and second shot. It might change between my third and fourth shot, so on and so forth. Every single shot, you have to make a little bit of a different wind hold based off of what you're seeing on the previous shot. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to start holding the stage a half mil left. Okay. Uh, I hit center. Perfect. Does that mean that you should hold half mil left and not pay attention for the rest of the stage? Absolutely not. Never. Every single shot should have just as much focus to make sure that you're either on the center of the target or if you start hitting a little bit left on that target, go, oh, man, half mil is a little bit too much right now. Let's go down to four tenths or three tenths. Okay, now we're back on the center of target. Mm -hmm. And then you start hitting to the right. Oh, shoot, I better go back the other way. Now let's go back to, you know, half mil or whatever the situation is. I'm just throwing random numbers out to give you no, an idea. This is expert level discussion. This is this is good yeah. stuff because that's sure. the the difference between hitting a plate and 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 tr- seeing where you hit the plate is is giant. It's giant. It's yep, it is. absolutely so, giant. What I feel is that when I have I have friends that come over or we train, um, I got people that fly in uh, all over the place and we do one on one training. They might be from the southeast and they want to come up and train. Mm-hmm. And okay, let's get on this barricade. All of a sudden, they're free recoiling, and they have zero clue where their bullets are going. Um, and yes, we're shooting a very small target, and yes, we have some wind, so I'm not expecting them to hit every single time. But what I'm expecting them to do is to figure out where their bullet goes. And they learn really fast that the free recoil method moves the gun just enough where you cannot watch your bullets fly Mm -hmm. every time, or you just can't be quite as consistent seeing what happens downrange. And so that's where I'm a fan of recoil management and staying in the gun a little bit to be able to see what's happening downrange. Um, that's just me personally. And again, I think that the, the area that you shoot will really dictate maybe how, uh, how you can shoot or what you can get away with. Because when there's, uh, you know, for example, you shoot a hundred percent Ipsic at, uh, 300 yards. Well, hundred percent Ipsic 30 inches tall, 18 inches wide. You shoot that at 300 yards. You, you really don't need to focus on where that bullet goes. You can just let it rip. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you don't need to see where it goes. You don't need to see where your impacts are at. So free recoil might make sense in that situation. As long as the, the, the reticle is on the steel somewhere, you're probably going to hit that target. No matter if you got a two mile an hour wind or a 12 mile an hour wind, it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, But as soon as you shoot a two inch popper, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to figure this out. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no longer just let it rip. It's completely different. Yeah. you guys see, yeah. See where it lands, be able to measure it. And if you're bouncing around with recoil and you see dust come off, well, you miss right, but you don't know where, because you're just getting back on the target. But I know there are guys that, like you said, I think if, if conditions allow, you can certainly get away with it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, but that's kind of my feeling too, is, is, Oh, is, is, I don't particularly like it. What, 
are there are there times have you been in positions that are awkward enough or goofy enough where you've had to use it that you can think of? Absolutely, yes, one hundred percent. So there are some prone positions where you get behind a prone position and you got a a barricade on one side that's in your shoulder. You can't get behind it. Maybe you're in like a rooftop. Maybe you're inside of a doghouse. There's a lot of times where you're struggling just to get your eye behind the scope enough that it's not shadowy, right? Or or, or whatever. Well, guess what? There there are positions where you're going to have to just figure it out and, Mm -hmm. and roll from there. Um, now that's not the norm. 95 or 99% of all the shots we take, you should be able to get behind them. Every once in a while, there's an awkward position for you or your body type. There's, there's places that my shoulders can't get into mm-hmm. that somebody else's shoulders can. Um, that's just, uh, that's just, yeah. uh, that's just because of, of me, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, there's also situations where someone might have to stand on their tippy toes where I don't have to. Uh, you know, there's, there's different situations for everyone. Sometimes we just got to figure it out to the best of our ability and free recoil might be one of those options where you're in a doghouse and you can't really get your shoulder behind it because there's a two by four over there. And they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're challenging you on trying to figure out how to get in that position and and how to shoot that. Well, put your eye behind that thing and hopefully it doesn't move enough where you can see what's happening down range and pull the trigger and let's, you know, let's move to the next position. But yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You can always power um, down the scope too, for a bigger field of view. So you, you, you you know, you're going to move. If you know, like say you're in a doghouse, it's either free recoil or switching to shoot weak side. Sometimes it's, it can go that way. Um, or you're just yeah. jammed that tight in the wall, depending on the angle. But yeah, maybe crank your scope down a little bit, a little bit of field review. So as you recoil off, you can at least see where that bullet goes. So no, that's a, that's a good point. But how and long? I think one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna ask a question, but finish up. I think one of the big the big things, the big takeaways with this particular topic is that um, whatever you can do to see every single shot, that's that's really what I would recommend. So if, if you're calling that free recoil and you can honest to goodness, see every single shot and some people, they fib about it and say, Oh yeah, I saw all those. Okay. Well then why didn't you hit them all? You know, (laughs) or whatever the situation is. Um, if you can honest to goodness, see every shot while you're doing that, then perfect. Good on you. I think that there's a little bit of an advantage by not using a free recoil method, just because you have a little bit of body or a little bit of weight behind the gun Mm -hmm. to control the recoil where it's not jumping up as much. And if you can see every shot, that's the big takeaway on this topic is do whatever you can do to see all your shots because seeing your shots in the middle of a stage, halfway through a stage on your third shot and making that little correction to get back into the center of the plate will pay giant dividends later on when the wind is switchy. Cause if you're hitting the center of the plate and the wind switches a little bit, you might be able to catch the outside of the plate. What happens is a lot of times we see it and everybody sees it is a guy or a girl is just pounding the target on the left third of the plate, <laughs> you know, or the left 25% of the plate. And they're just pounding it. Great group shooting really well. Well, now the wind switches and pushes them off that left-hand side. They drop a shot and they say, well, I was hitting five or six in a row. 
Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Well, where were you hitting those shots? Well, I, I, I was hitting the plate. I just figured I was hitting the middle. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the exact problem that we have to get away from. We have to see where those go. Um, yeah. and for me, it's, it's, you know, performing recoil management and, and controlling that weapon. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, I'm not going to ask my question. Kinda, Why not? We kind of covered it. Okay. A little bit. So, okay. And we're, hey, and, last, and we're, cru- we're cruising question. along pretty good. <laughs> last question before we get into the giveaway, yeah. um, is, and this is something that, you know, we talk about a lot because, we go to a lot of matches, so it's, you know, what are we doing? Uh, how do we gear up for competitions? What are we doing on the Tuesday and Wednesday before a match week? Um, you know, what are we doing during those? Yeah. So why don't you go first and tell me a little bit about, you know, what do your Tuesday, Wednesdays look like before, you know, aside from work and yeah. doing yeah. catching up on that, but as far as shooting-wise... Yeah. How do you prepare and and get ready? Yeah. So shooting wise, I don't, I guess I don't have a a super strict format and it depends. It kind of depends on my schedule. If I haven't been shooting for a long time, like right now, if I had a match coming up and I was home, I'd probably be practicing a little bit more midweek than if I was kind of a back to back situation. Um, what I like to do personally, if I've got a match next weekend, I like to have my gun, um, I say done the weekend before. So either that Saturday or Sunday, I want, I want to have my load development done. I want my zero checked. I want my drops checked. I want to be real confident that my gun um, is done. I hate, you know, pushing it in and, and not quite being ready. So um, just, you know, just have the load, the load I know I'm going to take, the, have it checked, have, know my ES, know my speeds, have my zero proof. So have all that done the prior weekend, if I can. It doesn't always happen, but that's my goal. So I like to have that done. Um, and then, so generally I'll reload. I've kind of put that off. Generally it's a Wednesday or Thursday before I leave, depending on, depending on that. Um, other than that, I, if I can, if I have time again, like you said, with work and stuff, if I have time in the evening, I'll, I'll grab my gun and just, it's kind of to build confidence. I'll take it out. And if I can run up, I'm lucky enough to be able to shoot at my house so I can take the four wheeler up the hill. And so if I get back from work and it's a little late, I can still grab, you know, five rounds, run up the hill, take a couple shots at 340 or 360. It's kind of where my steel's at. And I got some steel 600. So take a couple shots there and a couple shots at 600 and just kind of build confidence in that gun. Just be like, man, you know, it's just, okay, it's good. Zero's good. And so I do that a little bit. And then if I've got my trainer, I generally train with a suppressed 223. It's a, I don't have any weights on the chassis and it's got suppressor. So it's recoils, honestly, about as heavy as my, as my, um, you know, my heavy comp, uh, dasher. And I just, I try to do some practice. And again, it depends on the week. If I've been shooting a lot, I try not to do a whole lot of anything except for really slow. I like to shoot groups and I even like to shoot some prone, just relax and really focus on that trigger press. I, cause I have a tendency to get punchy on the trigger. And so for me, it's, it's slow down and break really good trigger pulls. Um, if it's a match that I've been to before, I'll sometimes if there's something I remember from the prior year or something, I'll look over the matchbook even cause sometimes match directors will run kind of similar stages or get a feel for what's going to happen. You know, um, and maybe run some of those kind of, if I think it's going to be a 90 second 
stages, I might practice 90. We could throw a timer on a little bit just to get used to that. Um, because out west, it seems like there's a lot of two minutes, and out east, there's a lot of 90 seconds. So I try to kind of switch my internal time clock, uh, depending on what I think is going to happen. Um, I'll shoot, you know, if it's PRS match, I'll practice a PRS barricade a little bit more than an NRL match. Um, uh, try to kind of do some match specific things, but not a, not a ton, not as much as I used to. Um, it's, it's, it's shoot, shoot, you know, 10, 15 shots off a rooftop, shoot 10 or 20 off a barricade, shoot a few off a tank trap, uh, practice a little weak side. Um, I just, nothing real, real heavy if I'm kind of in the groove. Um, so that's, I, I don't know. That's, that's generally uh, what I do. I like to have my gun all done the week before and then kind of fill in after that. That would be the, the gist of it. What about you? Yeah. No, that, that's great. Um, mine's pretty darn similar. My Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I'm always at the range. Uh, what I do is I typically have a bunch of leftover ammo. And so what, all my leftover ammo from a match just goes into like basically a box. And so if I got... 20 rounds from here and 10 rounds from here and 30 rounds from here. I just put all that in a box and that's typically all my Tuesday ammo. What I'll do is I'll go and I'll take just my match rifle. I'll take, uh, a, typically a 308 to practice with as well, mm-hmm. but I'll practice on Tuesday, uh, something that I've been struggling with, something that I feel that I need to maybe brush up on a little bit. And sometimes I'll spend all day on that, or maybe I just pick two different things. Okay, today is going to be shooting from the top position of, uh, you know, the barricade, and I want to shoot uh, off of a tire because I struggled with it at a last match, or it was something I had written down in my book. That's good. So Tuesday is, is basically, for me, is, is a practice day on something that I've been struggling with in the past, I don't do any load development. I don't, I'm not looking at that. I'm just out there to get practice and just to get better. Um, I come back on Tuesday and Wednesday is basically, uh, my final load development and all my time drills. And so you mentioned something that kind of struck with me is we tend to have a lot of two minute time limits in the West which I hate. I think it's horrible. We should, we could go to 90 seconds. Absolutely. Two minutes is just too long. (laughs) It is. But that being said, we have a lot of two minutes over here where other parts of the country or maybe some more square ranges. It seems like those are a lot of 90 second type stages. Well, Mm -hmm. I, I try to figure out where I'm going, what I'm doing, and I'll do a lot of my time drills. And so I'll do my two shots in 12 or 15 seconds, I'll do my one shot drill yep. where I'm standing above the barricade or above the prop. And I got my timer on my hip and I press my random start. It gives me a start signal. I'll get down. I'll shoot one shot. Typically it's at my 415 yard, five inch round popper. And I just take one shot, one well, well-placed, well-aimed, um, you know, consistent shot at that. I wanted to have that in about 10 to 12 seconds. And then I'll do it again and again and again, and I'll do it from uh, a ton of different props, a ton of different stuff. Um, and so I'll do that at the same time. Uh, I, I typically do that with my 308. At the same time, I have my match rifle on the bench and I'm running a final load development. And so I might shoot four or five shots. I'll get my SDs, um, you know, uh, recorded 
and I'll, I'll basically just shoot a group like at a hundred yards and then I'll go back and I'll shoot some more practice time drills in my 308. I'll come back and I'll do some more final load development, maybe another five or six shots. I'll record my SDs, make sure everything's really consistent. Um, and then Wednesday night, um, I'm loading all my match ammo. Basically I have, I know that my load is, is good. My SDs are recorded. And so I'll load Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And most of the time we fly out or we travel on Thursday or Friday. So Mm -hmm. that gives me that night to make it the freshest ammo as possible and go (laughs) from there. That's perfect. Yeah. I like, I like the, I like that you're, you mentioned a target size. I think that that's a pretty sporty target, especially with the wind that you guys generally get at Rock Creek is a five inch at 415. So just, yep. just over MOA, but still a difficult, um, that's a, that's a good target. Um, how, and yeah, go ahead. I, I don't, I don't mind. So I miss that target a lot. Like I probably miss that target more than I hit it. Um, it's at 415 yards. You got to hold for wind. I don't wind. know if that's true. I shot with you there. Well, <laughs> but well, I, know, I know what you're saying. I, I it's probably, a, yeah, I, I, hear you. I, I hit it a lot, but yeah. what I'm, yeah. what I'm, what I want to do yeah. is I really want to focus on pulling a good shot in BTF every single time and make sure that I see where that bullet's going. If I miss off the left, that's okay. If I miss off the right, that's okay. If I hit it, that's okay. Yep. As long as I pull a good shot, because that is a target, it's, it's a round five, it's a five inch round at 415 yards. It's not, it's not something that with a little bit of wind, a three mile an hour change or a two mile an hour change is going to push you off that target. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, for me, if I hit it, what matters is that I'm pulling a really good, of course I want to hit it. I want to oh, hit yeah, every yeah, shot yeah. that I take. But more importantly, I want to make sure that I pull a really good shot and do it under my time drill that I'm that I'm preparing for. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I probably hit that target more than I miss it. But that's not the point. The point yeah, is, no, I know. I, hear you. <laughs> I was I was I was exaggerating for everyone listening. You know? Do you uh, do you uh, will you go will you go home on a miss? No, absolutely not. Attaboy. Okay. No, you, you always got to hit your shot. Um, pull some good shots. And, uh, there's been times where I'm completely out of 308 ammo. And so I go grab my match gun. Okay. I'm going to go hit this. And with 308, it's even tougher. So (laughs) I see all 308. Well, now my wind drift for a five mile an hour at, at that distance is no longer four tenths. Now it's seven tenths or whatever. So you really got to be on it. And so that's what I'm saying. I, I I really want to focus on pulling a good shot. I want to make sure that that's a perfect shot. And that's all I care about. The result downrange uh, is is something that I know will happen during a match. So I I went to the range and it was windy and nasty, and I didn't hit very many targets. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll leave. I'll like, man, I suck. That was horrible. <laughs> well, you also have to keep everything in perspective and say, okay. What kind of target were you shooting? Are you ever going to shoot that small of a target in a match? Well, no, you're not. Um, really, how many times yeah. have you shot a one MOA target from a position at four or 500 yards in 12, 12 mile an hour wind? It just, it's not very practical. A practical target for that would very well be like a, we'll call it a, an eight by eight square would be a pretty fair, practical two MOA target at that distance. Well, an eight by eight square has 64 square inches and a five inch round has what 
18 square inches. So uh, really that five inch round is four times as small than that yeah. eight by where. So you have to figure out, okay, I'm, I am going to shoot much bigger targets. I personally love practicing on the really tough, small stuff. I think it makes us a better shooter mm-hmm. and it makes us focus on what we're doing and makes us focus on how to hit that target. And then we go to a match, we got a little bit bigger target, mm-hmm. an eight or a 10 inch. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's not so intimidating. It does get intimidating yeah. when you come home and you look at. So mine is generally it's a four inch round at three sixty, and so it's a it's close to that. It's a little bit smaller. Um, About the same or, ratio. Or, a, a little, yeah, a little bit bigger ratio than yours, I think. But 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 pretty no, we're very close anyway. So it's but when you look at those, uh, it can be a little. You're like, gosh, that looks small. You're just like you know. But you, you I totally agree. You get used to it. It's it's a. It's good for the mind, so you don't get to a match and you're thinking, "Gosh, that everything looks small." I hate, I hate because there are some targets. Sometimes you look at that, you're like, "Man, that's a tiny target." <laughs> so I don't like that feeling. It matches very much, but yeah. And um, then other targets, you're like, "How in the world? That's a meatball. How could I miss that thing?" Right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, um, good. What? What? Why did we? How did we get to two minute times? This is this is you've been doing this longer than me. What? What did? What was? What were times in 2012? What was? I'm just curious. This is just. You know, I I can't remember, but everything has gotten more efficient. Every all the shooters have gotten better mm-hmm. and more efficient. And so I was thinking back. I was actually watching some of the old videos from some of those matches. Okay. And I was watching them from some of the best shooters back then, like shooters that I was like, man, that guy just doesn't miss. He's just awesome, right? Well, mm-hmm. he did miss. He had a 75% hit percentage. He was just a lot better than everybody else. Yeah. And I look at what he's doing, and it's like, man, how in the world – is he doing that? And now you look at it and that exact match is now a 90% hit ratio for a lot of people. Right. So people are getting better. Our skills are getting better. Our equipment is getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe not necessarily rifle equipment, but you know, I guess I take that back. Yeah. Rifle equipment is getting better. We got chassis that are able to do things and ride better than ever before. We have, um, you know, everything is just a little bit better. So mm-hmm. I think it's just times haven't really changed. It's maybe it's always been two minutes. And, but yeah, I, I, I think that we need to make some sort of, I don't know, like I think the time pressure, the time um, factor, it does play a role in all this. When you got to go through and every shot has to be important and perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a big difference than having all day to shoot a shot, yeah. um, you know, and getting set up in the right position. And that might be the biggest thing is uh, sometimes you got you got time to use a tripod and a tack table and a this plate and yeah. lock into that and use this bipod and, you know, this bag or whatever to get the perfect position. But you've wasted 20 seconds getting in that position. Mm-hmm. What if you didn't have those extra 20 or 30 seconds? Now you'd have to think about gosh, how do I get a really good shot off when I only have this much time? That's the, that's the other, you know, hard, hard thing to have. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just, I wonder looking back, I have to watch some of those videos. I'm curious if, if maybe two minutes, you know, with, with, 
you know, rougher mags or not as smooth actions or, or back in the day, I wonder if two minutes was actually tight times and now everyone's getting better. And, and, and there's probably beginners out there. They're like, you guys shut up. I need all the time I can get. And I, I hear you there. So that's, that's a fair argument too. you know, bringing, getting guys, you know, newer people in, but, yeah. but, um, you know, and, 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 and being able to shoot as many shots as they can. But, but I do feel like, I, you know, some of the pushback I've got from some pretty good buddies around here, they're like, oh, no, we don't need to go 90. This is precision. I'm like, then don't go to the East Coast because everything over there's 90, and those guys are kicking butt. So in the, yeah. you, know, you, can, you can make the wind argument. You do whatever you want, but it doesn't matter. 90 seconds is 90 seconds. Those guys are burning it down. So it's totally doable. Um, I like the little – I like having a little time stress, and, and it, it does feel like the two minutes you don't feel it, whereas 90, it's in your head. It's, you're aware of it at least, and it's causing you to – maybe push a little bit or, or, you know, maybe force an issue of a mistake or something, which is kind of fun. So I say that, but I did time out on a two minute stage and the Montana defy the distance. And so (laughs) I didn't get four. I only shot six out of 10 shots. I, I, I missed four opportunities to hit. Now I was fortunate to win the match. So those didn't, necessarily matter but okay. <laughs> if you get second or third in a match uh, like that and yeah. you didn't take four like that would just bug the crap out of me yeah exactly <laughs> it's like how you had four opportunities to go shoot a shot and you didn't even didn't even take them uh, ding yeah, dong no that's true that's true were you what were you what, i can't remember were you searching for targets or what you couldn't find them or what happened really it was like the worst stage of my life i, I, I vaguely I remember completely, it. i completely screwed it up i shot it like a complete donkey um <laughs> i couldn't find my targets my position wasn't planned out yeah, okay um just ba- it was bad news bears for yeah, me okay. but yeah it was it was everything seemed to go wrong on that one particular stage i got sh- six shots off and i ended up i think i got four hits so i even missed a couple targets in the middle of that oh. um yeah it was Force it was hurt. pretty uh it was embarrassing everyone's laughing at me and rightfully so they should have been <laughs> Right on, right on. I had, I had one, there's one quick hunting question. Um, may as well hit really quick and then we'll wrap this sucker up. It's, uh, uh, Eli goo G O U G H go Ga 13 from Instagram. Um, he was asking about hunting stuff. He said he's building a six, five PRC on a true Remington. He's thinking about doing a 22 inch barrel with a Mesa stock. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. He said a question about barrel. He has, he said, is there any specific reason you went carbon over steel would a 22-inch carbon shoot better than a steel Bartland number three? Would there much be much of a weight difference between the two? So it's obviously a subjective question. Um, I don't think you're going to go wrong with either. Um, I don't know the contour of a, a Bartland three. I do know, I think, a heart fluted four contour in a 24 is the same weight as a 24-inch Sendero Light. Um, so you could look at the heart number four and see how it compares to the Bartland number three, because unfortunately all these companies, threes and fours all mean different things depending on where you're buying barrels. So I believe the heart four fluted is the same weight as the Sendero light 24 inch. So compare the Bartland to that and you can figure out the weights on that. Probably not a big weight difference. Um, we could probably discuss carbon and steel debates for a while. Um, the I went carbon part of it is I I shoot for proof and and the carbons are are they're cool they're different I hadn't built on a lot um, I like some of the the pros that I like of the carbon is you get a bull barrel 
uh, look. They look cool. There's no denying they're they're pretty sweet looking barrels. You can run a bigger crown because they they're bigger diameter at the muzzle than say a, you know a little skinny barrel. So you can run a, a bigger threaded muzzle break, which you could argue that. Um, I mean, I just had this this discussion with Joe about my match guns. We went to a little bigger muzzle break just to get a little bit bigger crown over a 5 inch 24 as a, as a test. So you could argue that a bigger crown could potentially give you more accuracy. You know, you're splitting hairs there. Um, I think you said you mentioned you wanted to come in around 8.5 pounds. I think that's pretty stinking close. Um, and you're asking me... If are you far off thinking this? Well, I don't know for sure because I don't know what scope. And so, just just it's pretty straightforward. Just you know the way to this the mesa. They say on I think it's I can't remember, but it says on the site. So weigh that, weigh your weigh your scope, weigh your rings. You can stack it all on a pile on a scale, and I'll tell you how much it's going to weigh. You know, plus or minus a little bit with you know cutting a chamber out of the barrel and a few things like that. But um, I don't think eight and a half pounds is too far off at all. I think I built a I built a twenty four inch carbon. Um, with the Mesa stock, a loophole, uh, 3618 worn rings, the trigger tech trigger, all that area 419. So even a bigger break, I didn't use a machined in break. I used a self-timing area 419 break and I was right at, I was a high eights, just, just over eight and a half. So I think you'll mm-hmm. be, you'll be fine with a 22 inch. Um, I'm, i you know, I think that's a good enough answer. So, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that or? Yeah. So I run the, um, so I was looking at weights as well and I wanted to keep my barrel around three and three quarter, uh, pounds is really what I was wanting. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe even if I could do a three and a half pound barrel, that's what I wanted. And so looking over the benchmark, so I shoot benchmark barrels, Mm -hmm. um, looking over their stuff, they had a benchmark number five contour, which was, uh, a four pound barrel at the 26 inch length. They also had the uh, Remington varmint, which is 4.6 at 28 inch length. So what I decided to do is I knew if I was going to a 24 inch length, that Remington varmint would now go down to about four pounds. And then I did a heavy flute on that, and the heavy flute dropped me off 0.7 pounds. So it ended up being a 3.3-pound barrel, and that kind of met my requirements for a, you know, fairly lightweight but still rigid and accurate barrel, which is a Remington Varmint um, contour, and I think that's like 800 at the muzzle. And then um, I did a super heavy flute on it. So it, it basically took some of that weight out there. I don't necessarily, um, you know, care or, or believe or whatever about all the flutes dissipate heat, this, that, and, you know, and the other, I, mm-hmm. I don't really care about any of that. I'm just was worried about the weight. So I wanted three and a half or so, um, which put me at the weight I wanted for my entire package. I am running the XLR, um, uh, element three, which is the magnesium and carbon fiber chassis, which was two pounds. And so light. Light. Yeah, it's light. And then my, my action was another two pounds, um, or maybe it's two and two and a half. So Dude, uh, that put me that right is, in that nine pound range for the that, rifle. That's good. I didn't mean to cut you off, but, uh, do that new Curtis, 
Oh, Here's I a shameless it. plug for Curtis, but man, that Chase just came out with this skeletonized Axiom that's got all this material removed from it, lightweight rail and knob, just a bunch of cool features, DLC to everything. We had kind of we were discussing that after my BC hunt, where you know what can rust and where, and we were talking about different things. He's like, well, I'll just DLC everything, and so he did the firing pin, the firing pin spring, and every single thing on that's DLC, which is awesome, and it comes in. It, it's just a few ounces heavier than titanium action, and then uh, to me, steel actions run, run a lot smoother than titaniums. Yeah, and so you so get this twenty-seven and a half ounces. It God, is what crazy. this action is. So it's under two pounds. My action, I think, uh, is the vector, and that's two point. Uh, uh, I guess that's going to be two point two five, or or almost two and a half pounds. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's it's uh, kind of just depends what you want to run that. Uh, what is that called? That's called the Axiom Hybrid. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, I believe it's the Hybrid. He just he yeah, just posted it, it on Instagram. Check it out. But anyway, that just that just I'm pretty Jones Jonesing to build something on there. So I think the I think the proof carbons are generally like a the um, the two like a like a six five is somewhere like a twenty four inch is somewhere in that right around three pounds. Um, in the Sendero, I built the Sendero light at 24 inches yep. is, is about two is right about three pounds. So, yep, so when, right. when you're hitting that three, 3.3 ounce, you're right there, um, in the same weight as a carbon. So you can do yeah. it both ways. I don't think that, you know, I, I, you'll be fine either way. So that's right. Um, yeah, no, that's good stuff. Uh, appreciate the question on that. And I'll just in your message, I'll just say, check out the podcast and we will answer it there. So, um, you want to, let's see, let's do giveaway stuff and wrap this sucker up. We're, we're over an hour. So Perfect. I, I got to go to bed. Um, so again, uh, rock Creek barrels, Russell Dorn reached out. We've got a eight twist, 6.5 millimeter for your, your six, five PRC, if you want it or whatever else yes. you want to run it in. It's a MT, I believe it's MTU contour. I don't have it. It's out in the shop right now, but it's a good, it's a good match contour. Um, I think it'll finish at 26. Uh, anyway, brand new barrel for you guys. So if you would, um, when we post this, it's going to be episode 12 post under the Instagram or the Facebook again, tag a couple buddies. I'd have you tag, um, rock Creek on Instagram, but he doesn't have an Instagram account. So Russell get her get an Instagram account for rock Creek <laughs> unless I missed yeah. it, but I don't, I didn't see it. So on Facebook, you can tag him. So so tag Rock Creek and a couple buddies who you think would like the podcast. We'd appreciate it for us. Just trying to get more info out to you guys and um, share the post. Yeah, yeah share the po- yeah. That's right. Share it. Uh, tag some buddies. Tag Rock Creek and and when are we picking a winner? We're gonna pick a winner next week. This is a one week deal. So Boom. get on it, guys. We're uh, this will be a quick. We're one. gonna rock and roll. We have a few of these giveaways lined up, and I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna do them one week at a time. We'll do the giveaway the following week, and then the next week we'll do another one. And so, um, yeah, we're really excited for you guys to be able to do this. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, we just want to kind of share the share the wealth with you guys. So that's yep. pretty, it's pretty fun. Yep. Barrel Russell shipped the barrel here, so it's set in the shop. As soon as we do this, I'll get your address and I'll ship it right out to you. So, um, so yeah, again, tag. Share it, tag a couple buddies, tag Rock Creek, and episode 13, we will pick a winner, and we'll let you know who gets a free barrel. So, I'm talking about. Uh, let's, uh, let's ra- oh, if anyone's got a really great deal on a truck they want to sell me, let me know. <laughs> uh, 
Just, just oh, Donnie needs a truck. Oh, buddy, truck shot, dude. This used car market is robbery, but that's a different topic. I want to do one more shout out. We had a, we mentioned kind of. Um, I'm not going to give names or locations at this point, but we mentioned kind of looking for land in Oregon. We kind of maybe yep. potentially have a match in here, and we had a guy reach out to us. Um, we'll see how it shakes up. It's not it's not quite where we wanted it, but it's a killer location. So anyway, Absolutely. I just wanted to give a shout out to him. I don't want to say names or anything yet. So really appreciate you reaching out. Um, Jake and I have been talking. As you know, we've talked to you and we're, we're seeing if we can make something happen. So we appreciate that. Again, if, you know, maybe if someone's got a big chunk that you think could handle a big match in Oregon too, you know, we're always open to ideas or or whatever, so reach out. But anyway, pretty pretty ha- pretty stoked with this guy and this, the location looks. If we can get something to come together, we're not sure yet. But if we can make something happen, this place looks. It's like a dream place to shoot. I, I love it. It's not Telluride, yeah, yeah. but it's but it's not not far off. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, that's right. Anyway, so uh, until next time, uh, this is VP Precision episode twelve. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Toodles.